Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. So we're on week three, and we're, we're talking really about our culture of honor. Because at Overflow, we believe in honoring up, down, and all around. And really, what will happen is that God will place us in sometimes precarious situations so that we can demonstrate honor. Did you know that you can demonstrate honor to dishonorable people? The people that aren't worthy of honor, you could, because you are an honorable person, you can honor the environments you're in. And we carry this, this honor as a fragrance into every environment we go into, whether it be our marriage, whether it be raising our kids, whether we go into our kids' room and we're disciplining them, come on, whether it's before a teacher or whether it's before a political party or whether it's before a, a job that maybe you love or dislike, we all get to carry this fragrance called honor. We're infusing the atmosphere with this fragrance. And the point of it all is to influence. The point of it all is to bring people to an encounter with the Lord so that people can experience the fragrance of Christ that is on you through the principle of honor. So we talked about Joseph in week one and how he carried the favor of the Lord, right? Honor looked like favor to him. And then we, last week we talked about Esther, dug real deep into those. I would encourage you, to, if you haven't, if you're just jumping in on this series, go back in the Overflow app, get on the podcast, YouTube, wherever, and get in on those messages and get this stuff deep in your heart. And so we talked about Joseph. We talked about Esther last week. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, two or three weeks, uh, maybe more like three or four weeks, in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel. Everybody say Daniel. And so Daniel and his friends, you guys know his friends, right? We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And so we know that they were selected to serve. And that's what we're talking about today, selected to serve. Look at somebody and say, you were selected to serve. You were selected to serve. So the book of Daniel is interesting, right? Because it's, it's a history book, right? It gives us some history of Israel, ancient Israel, but it's also a prophetic book and not just a prophetic book for the people of the time. It was actually a messianic prophecy book about the coming of Jesus, but it's also an, an end of times prophetic book. It also has all these dreams and stuff about the end, the end of days. But really what we're focusing on is we're focusing on the story of Daniel and their friends and how they were before wicked kings, the kings of Babylon, and they brought the culture of God's honor to that and influenced a very broken, darkened world. And this is really, I feel like the core of this series is, is coming from the book of Daniel. Now, you guys know Jeremiah, right? We, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? We know that that's on your fridge somewhere or on a t-shirt or on a bumper. For God, you know, God, God has a purpose for me, right? To plan, plans for me, to prosper me, right? Right, not to harm me, to give me hope in a future, right? 2911, we all know that. I don't preach on that a whole lot because I think a lot of people pull that out of context. But uh, when you move into verse 12, it says they will, they will find me when they search for me with all of their hearts. And this is really what God's looking for. He's not, he's not just looking to, to quote unquote prosper you and make you just fat and happy with blessings. He's actually calling you to this place of intimacy. He's calling you to this place of growth. But what we find in Jeremiah is that if you, if, if you will see before he says any of this in chapter 21, he's, he's talking to the nation of Israel and he's saying, listen, I love you, but the problem is, is you don't love me back. And the problem is, is you are worshiping all these false gods and you are, you are doing all these things we're not, that were not meant for you. And if you don't turn away, then what's going to happen is that you are going to, you are going to be, I'm going to give you over to bondage to this nation that was rising up at the time called Babylon. Everybody say Babylon. Babylon. And so he gives them this warning. And we know his plan, his plan was to prosper them, to give them hope in a future. That was, that was his plan. That was his plan for the nation of Israel. However, that plan was contingent upon their ability to stay in the pocket and be obedient to the Lord. Come on. And so don't be, don't be running around quoting verses, come on, unless you're willing to walk around and obey the verses, right? And so many times we just have these little Christian things that we just like putting on stuff to make us feel better about our bad decisions. Listen, the last thing that I ever want to do is I, I don't ever want to feel good about bad decisions because bad decisions always lead to oppression. And this is what happens for the entire nation of Israel. 
Check it out. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read a lot of verses today. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So they come in and they take over. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Uh-oh. He's touching the sacred things. Why, why wasn't there judgment? Because the people of God were being judged. Come on. And God is using, some of you aren't going to like this, God is using the wicked kings to judge God's people. And we see this all throughout the scripture. Scripture talks about, in the New Testament you will see this. We don't like to talk about that because it doesn't fit our little comfortable life. So those he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz. Everybody say Ashpenaz. Chief of his court officials. So this guy is like in charge of, of all the people that, that he is bringing in to, from captivity, bringing them in to Nebuchadnezzar's rule in Babylon to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites. Here we go. Israelites, God's people, from the royal family and the nobility. Verse four, really important. Young men without any physical defect. I know that that wasn't you or me. <laughs> Handsome, mm-hmm. showing ap- aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified, here we go, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He wasn't looking for anybody to serve. He was looking for someone special. And so here's these men, some translations say that they were athletic, they were good looking, they were without blemish. There's all kinds of things to describe them, but the, but the quality that set them apart was their wisdom and their fear of the Lord. This was really the thing that set them apart. Even though Nebuchadnezzar wasn't able to identify that, he just looked at their life and said, man, I really like these guys. There's something on them that I like. He wasn't able to put language to it, but really what it was, it was the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, you tracking? So he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine for the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. Everybody say three years. It's a long time. And after they were to enter the king's service, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Now, this is important. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. These are their new names. So here's Daniel. And his friends, they are pulled out of their homeland. They're brought into captivity. They're brought into slavery before the king. So they go through, they're rummaging Jerusalem, Judah. They're going around. They're looking for all the Jews. And they're looking for the people. And these are young men. They're teenagers. They're like 12 to 14 years old. And they're looking for young men who will be qualified to serve the king. They are stripped from their families. They're stripped from their uh, potential careers. Many theologians believe that they were actually castrated and made eunuchs. It wasn't like, oh yeah, you know, superhero, good looking Daniel. It's like they were going through hell. Then they take them and they tell them, listen, we know that you've been, you've been studying you know, uh, Judea- Judaism. We know that you're a good Jew. We know that you know all this stuff. But we are going to attempt to re-indoctrinate you in the ways of the Babylonians. Which was totally different than that which they were taught in. You know, they, they, they were, they were if in our day, they would have been raised in church. And now all of a sudden there is an attempt on them to be put, stripped of everything they know, family life and religion, and they're brought in to this oppressive religion that is going to attempt to indoctrinate them, to brainwash them. 
Now, now get this. The, the Babylonian God is not the God that we serve. The Babylonian God is actually about 2,100 gods full of, of witchcraft and occult activity. Demonic, absolutely demonic. Child sacrifices. These are all the religions that you see under the Babylonians. If, if there was a God that had a name, they adopted him. And the practices, that they just worshiped all the gods. So they kind of thought that bringing these guys in, maybe this is just another God that they could add to their collection. This is part of the reason why he takes all the articles and puts them in his temple. Hey, here's another one. Let's add 2,101 gods to our collection. It was a very toxic environment. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of everybody talking about the word toxic. I'm just like, okay, I'm kind of done with it. This is for real toxic, right? You having a bad day, your boss wasn't nice to you. That doesn't necessarily mean that they were toxic. Maybe they are. But what we don't see with Daniel and his friends is we don't look for them, see them looking for a way out. They're not looking for a way out. They're, they are looking for a way to, to use their position as leverage for the real king to have influence. The king that the Lord had set in place from the beginning. Remember, God told Israel, he's like, I don't even want you to have kings. And they asked for kings. And he gave them kings. And, well, that didn't turn out very good. And then probably the, the, the thing that really crushes them the most is that they changed their names. Now, this is something we see throughout Scripture. Names were changed because names meant something. Names carried a meaning. They, they, they endorsed a person's identity. So King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, listen, we need to change their identity. All their names are Jewish. All of their names point to God. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to cause them to conform to the ways of the Babylonians. We're gonna, we're gonna use, we're, we're gonna cause them to forfeit and forget their God. We'll change their name. They won't, they won't, have, any, they won't have any of their documents. They won't have any of their people around. We're, we're taking everything away, including their God. This was the attempt. Hmm. That didn't work out so good either. So Daniel, Daniel's name means this, God is my judge. So they change his name to Belteshazzar, which is Bell's Prince, or Bell Protects My Life. Isn't that interesting? They took Hananiah, which means whom God has favored, and changed his name to Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun god. They took Mishael, who is, which means who is comparable to God, to Meshach, which means who is a coup, a moon god. The sun god and the moon god, and Bell, Azariah, which means who God helps, they change it to Abednego, which means servant of Nabu or the, 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 wis, the, the God of wisdom. So they take their names, which represent their heritage, and they place on them pagan names to foreign gods. And this is what they call them by. Can you imagine the insult to these young men who have been identified by their God their whole life, who have the first five books of your Bible memorized? Because this is what they did in those days. Part of that was because, of the, again, the oral tradition. They were labeled, but they never lost their true identity. They were labeled, but they never lost our true identity. Listen, beloved, in the culture that we're living in, in the dark days of this Babylon, and it is a Babylon, the same spirit that was on Babylon, the dark night Babylon, is the same spirit that is in the world today, darkening this world, enforcing values, trying to, trying to indoctrinate you. Listen, all of that. The, the, the attempt is on your identity. The enemy wants to relabel you. And so what we have now is we have all these accusations against Christians. And what Christians do is they go, well, I want to be called something else. Beloved, don't be called something else. Consider it a privilege to be called a Christian. Consider it a privilege to be identified with Jesus, the great one. Don't say we need another label. No, no, no. Bring some value to it. Bring some value to it. Don't allow someone to re-identify you. And don't allow the world to, 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 to steal another word. I'm so sick of the hijacking that's happening. So they were selected to serve 
How many know that serving is not a doorway for honor? And that's what we look at. Well, if I serve here, and we do know the scriptures teach us that if we serve well, then God will promote us. But the promotion doesn't mean that you will have servants. The promotion means that you'll be serving deeper. Come on. In the kingdom, the way up is down. I said, in the kingdom, the way up is down. It's through serving. So serving is not a doorway for honor. It's the highest honor. Did you know that God chose you? He selected you to serve where you're at. He's chose you to serve in your marriage. He's chose you to serve in your family. He's chose you to serve in your education track. He's, he's called you to serve, selected you to serve in the job you're in. Your spouse, the relationships you're in, the church you're in. We talk about serving. We always talk about church. Do you have the, the spirit of a servant at work? Or are you a hireling? Are you just doing it for the money? Don't work for money. Check this out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Y'all okay today? Is this just heavy and y'all are just really engaged? All right. Jesus makes this statement. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is Salt. If it's lost its flavor, can you make it salty again? No, it'll be thrown out, thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. It might be good for fertilizer, but probably not because it's lost its saltiness. Then he says, are you salty? (laughs) Let's take that word back. (laughs) Come on. Are you salty? I remember when I was a kid, we used to eat watermelon and then we had some neighbors that introduced us to salt on watermelon. Come on, glory. And it was like, here it is. I mean, this is the real thing. But if, it didn't, if the salt had lost its saltiness, if it had gone bad, it would have made no difference. And there are a lot of people that are salt of the earth, and they've lost their saltiness, the good salty. And this is why you're not seeing transformation around you. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on its stand. Did you know that God placed you on a stand? That everywhere you live is your platform. That your job is your platform. It's a stand. Not... For you to necessarily always preach. Listen, if you, if you work at a factory, you, you don't need to be the best preacher at the factory. You need to be the best factory worker at the factory. Put it on display. <laughs> Some people think that ministry only means sharing the gospel. That's the goal. But if you don't have the testimony to get in the door, that's not going to be very good. So I see people... You know, especially a lot of young, zealous Christians. I just want to, I just want to minister to everyone at work. Awesome, do work really, really well, and you'll have lots of opportunities to do that. So, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Now, it doesn't say that they'll be converted, but it does say that they'll bring God glory. That God will be glorified in what you're doing. What's he talking about, salt and light? He's talking about preservation, and he's talking about illumination. And this is our role in the world. Our role is to bring preservation and flavor to the world, to preserve the culture. Did you know this? And it's not just, it's not just your job to just, just, just to protect yourself from evil. No, 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 beloved. We've got to get engaged to preserve the culture. And the second is this illumination. You are the light of the world. Are you lighting up the world so they can see Jesus? Are you bringing illumination or are you just blending in? Are you blending in? You're never, Jesus didn't call you to be relevant. He called you to be different. And you will, listen, you will never make an impact being relevant. You will only make an impact. Because Jesus doesn't need to be relevant. He's central. (laughs) We just need to bring light to that. All right, let's carry on. See, Babylon represents our darkened world and its systems. But we can influence its kings 
And Babel, this Babylon has its kings. And when I think kings, you think president. No, no, no. I'm talking about rulers in any area. I'm talking about music artists. Come on. I'm talking about teachers. Anybody that is leading something is a king. They're ruling something. They're managing something. So we can influence its kings and not be influenced by its systems. Beloved, we've got to get the world out of the church and get the church into the world. That's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. And some of you have been so like, I just, I just need encouragement from the Lord. I just need encouragement from the Lord. And the Lord is saying, go out. I want, you, I want you to be different. I want you to be salt. I want you to be light. I want you to represent me in Babylon. This is the deal. If, if we came in here, we turn all the lights on. Obviously, it's, it's, it's darker in our room. But if you come in here and, and, and the lights are full blown on and you pull out your phone and you turn on your, your camera flash and you're like walking around, like, am I the only one that does that like all the time? Like I'm walking around with my flash on. It's like, that's my flashlight. We all got a flashlight now. It's pretty awesome. But that doesn't do any good in a well-lit place. Listen, your light that you shine doesn't shine very bright in church. It shines bright, but it doesn't make much of a difference. However, when you go to a darkened world, and the darker the world, the brighter the light. And what we have is we have a lot of believers that make statements like this. And I've been there. I've been there in my, in my faith journey. I've been there just like maybe you have or maybe you're at right now. And we think, man, I just wish that I had a job where nobody cussed. I wish I had a job where everyone was a Christian. So what a lot of young, zealous believers do is they say, I want to work for a church so I don't have to be around dark, darkness. I want to work at a Christian bookstore. I want to work for Chick-fil-A, <laughs> which, which would be the closest thing to like a Christian company, right? Why do we want those things? Because we want to be light in a light place. But light in a light place doesn't do any good. Listen, God has assigned you to the darkness. God has assigned you to the darkness. And stop trying to, listen, we have this wonderful thing. We come together, we, we be light, and we get light, and we receive light. We love it. We have the light. The light of the world is Jesus in us. And he's saying, listen, you've got to go out. Light's purpose is to illuminate darkness. You know why the world's so dark? Because there's no light there. Because the church isn't shining. We're hiding. Y'all remember that little song? Hiding under a bush. Oh, no. Right? I'm going to let it shine. Are, are we letting it shine? Listen, it is, it is so dark in our world right now. I don't, I don't ever remember this long of a period in my life, in my 47 years, I don't ever remember things just feeling so dark and just not being able to climb out. But guess what? I don't adapt to the darkness. I shine the light. And too many, listen, too many are just trying to adapt to the darkness. This is not what we're called to. Beloved, right now, let Jesus shine more than ever. Let Jesus shine over fear. Let Jesus shine over discouragement. Let Jesus shine over sickness and disease. Let Jesus shine. You don't have to do much work. You just got to be connected to the vine. Oh, that'll work. <laughs> Poet didn't know it. All right. <laughs> and what we've bought into is this idea is that God's highest value for me is to be comfortable. That is not his highest value. His primary purpose is not your comforts. His primary purpose for you is to go into this world and share his gospel, be his light. And this is exactly what we see in Daniel. We see these young men in a world that's way darker than ours. In an oppression that's way more oppressive than anything we've ever experienced. And they influence kings. And they influence kings. Everybody say, I was selected to serve. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you do it this way. To stand out, don't blend in. Stand out, don't blend in. Don't blend in. I remember when I was in junior high, there was this, this, this kid, we called him Preacher Boy. 
wasn't me. <laughs> Not yet. I became that guy a little later, but we called him Preacher Boy. He stood out. You know who I respected more than anyone? Preacher Boy. I didn't let everybody else know that I expected him. I don't even remember his name. We knew him as Preacher Boy. I don't know how much preaching he was doing, but we, we knew that he had these convictions. I remember playing Legend of Zelda at his house, you know, like the gold cartridge. Some of you are like, what is that? Yeah. It was the Legend of Zelda before it was just Zelda. Stand out. Don't blend in. This is what it says with Daniel, verse 8. It says, Daniel resolved. One translation says, determined not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So you know, as a Jew, they had a kosher diet that they stayed, they were very strict on. Like they didn't eat pork, you know what I'm saying? And Babylon definitely had pork. They had all the good stuff. Come on. And these were farm-raised pigs, right? Which actually you don't want farm-raised pigs. That's the one thing you don't want (laughs) farm-raised because of what they eat. I mean, no shellfish. They definitely had shellfish. I know it. I know they had like some lobster on those tables. I mean, they had all kinds of really good food there. And then crawfish, man. Come on. Them mud bugs are like, come on, baby. And so here's Daniel and his friends smelling the mud bugs. Come on. Smelling all the forbidden food. Wow, that smells good. I never smelled anything like that before. But they said, you know what? We will not eat. This, this goes again. Hey, you know, we're in Babylon. It's okay. It's acceptable. Was it didn't matter if it was acceptable. They said, you know what? We're set apart to God. We're set apart to God. We're going to live by the standards that God has placed. There's, if there's going to be one thing that stands out from us and, and those around us, it's going to be that, that we live differently. And that starts with our diet. That, 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 that starts with our intake. What does your intake look like? Does it look like the world? Are you just eating everything that the, Lord, the world provides? This is what we do. We just, we eat up, we eat up all of it. We eat up all the entertainment. We eat, all, we eat up all the devices. We eat up all the news. We eat up all of it. I believe God is calling us in this hour to a level of separation that we've never had before. To a level that says, you know what? I am set apart. I am standing out. I'm not trying to blend in. I'm not trying to be relevant. I'm trying to live a life that's devoted to Jesus. And God is looking for the faithful ones. The best way for us to reach the world is, and we think that, we can just be relevant. We can serve better donuts in church, right? We can make our music sound like a little bit more like the world's whatever. I love good me. I believe in all the expressions. But we think that the way to reach the world is to be like the world. However, Jesus came and showed us that it's totally different. Because the, the, regardless of what people will try to do with Jesus and say, oh, he was just like one of us. No, he wasn't. He wasn't and he is not today. Jesus is totally uncommon, totally different. The disciples, come on, the disciples, totally different, totally uncommon. They were different. And here we have Daniel and his friends, totally different. Why were they influential? Because they were different. If they just blended in, they wouldn't have made a difference. Are you blending in or are you making a difference? Does it matter that you're there? Does it matter? Or are you just, are you just punching a time card, collecting a paycheck, going through the motions, scrolling through the feed? Does it matter that you're there? Are you bringing salt? Are you bringing light? Do you stand out? What is different about you? Beloved, I'm asking you. Between you and your friends that are in the world, that are part of Babylon, what is different about you? I'm asking you. I want you to ask yourself, Lord, am I different than the world? Are my value systems different? Is my diet different? Carry on. Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. Are you, are you, when, the, when the gossip starts up at work about the boss and how he's a tyrant, do you join in the gossip? Or do you honor him with your words? You just grab with everybody else how you're underpaid. How they weren't nice to you and how they, if I was in charge, I would do it this way. This is, what, this is what we do. We just play into the enemy's hand. Will you be different? 
Will you be different? They will not serve before officials of low rank. And then he says this in, in, in chapter 23. It's interesting that this bleeds over, but it's the same conversation. When you sit to dine with the ruler, know what is set before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. And so here's Daniel. Can you imagine? And they're hungry. So they said, we're going, we'll just eat vegetables. We'll do, all the nice vegetables are there. We'll just eat fruits and vegetables. There's all this yummy meat that we can't have. They put a knife to their throat. And they said, don't eat it. Don't eat it. We're devoted to God. And you know what we do in our culture? We go, oh, man, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt anybody. You know what, you know what it's going to hurt? It's going to hurt your devotion to Jesus. That's what it's going to hurt. It might, it, might, it, might not, it might not even influence anybody. But, but guys, there's got to be some things in our life that are just devoted to God. But can, I, can I encourage you just to find, find some place to have some standards? Come on, quit eating all the garbage. Find something to make you different. And you just say, I'll, I'll just devote that to the Lord. It's not because the Bible says so. It's just because... I need to have something in my life that I give up for Jesus. That's a good quality. So stand out. Don't blend in. Don't, don't try to blend in. Come on, Christianity is not God's popularity contest. Jesus didn't come to be popular. He did not. In fact, you know what happened to Jesus? <laughs> Lest I remind you, he was killed. Why? Because he brought the truth, and the truth isn't popular. Number two is this, stay educated. I want to help you today. Stay educated. Listen, in the information age, we also have the misinformation age. I would encourage you, because I hear all this all the time. I've read an article. <laughs> Did you know that there's an article for both sides of the argument always? I would encourage you not to read one article. I would encourage you to be educated. I would encourage you not to just read the news. Don't just go to Fox and don't just go to CNN. Probably don't go to either one. I, I would encourage you to not take Google's word for it. Do your due diligence. Listen. Oh, my gosh. You know. You can Google the same thing and get two totally different answers from credible sources. Maybe credible. And the thing is, with these guys is they were well-informed. They were very well-educated, even at that age. I mean, if, if memorizing five books of the Bible doesn't make you smart, what will? Listen, one of the things that we do here at Overflow, every, every single week, I work really, really hard to... To, to put together a good word. I put, you know, up to 10 hours a week doing that. We, we, we put things on the podcast. We, we, we put notes on the website and the app, all these places. Why? Because we want you educated in the word of God. Because we know, listen, we know that we live, we live in the church culture today, the church culture, not the world culture. The church culture today is biblically illiterate. So I'm like, anytime that I preach a message or anybody else that comes up here, we're putting notes out. We're putting podcasts out. We're putting videos out. Why? Why are we doing that? Is it, are we doing that so somebody streak our, uh, stroke our ego? No, we're doing that because we believe in educating people in the word of God because we believe the word of God holds true. We believe the word of God has lasted thousands of years and it will continue to last. It's not going anywhere. It's true. And so we work really hard to do this. Seize that information. Now, maybe not our podcast, but somebody, somebody that's, that's teaching from the scriptures. See, they were very established in their worldview. Very established. If not, what would have happened when they started learning all these doctrines? For three years. For three years, they go to pagan school. For three years, they're studying the occult and astrology. Yes, astrology. It's rooted in the occult, just so you know. You probably shouldn't be reading your horoscope every day and living your life by that. Just, you say, oh, I've never heard that before. It's because that's not part of your worldview, but it probably should be. God holds your future. Well, maybe he'll use the stars. This is what they were ba battling. They were battling all that. 
<laughs> it's so funny. And listen, I, I know that people can get extreme on this stuff, but beloved, I, I think it's time that we kind of swing the pendulum back a little bit because we've gotten so liberal in everything that we accept now. I, th- I think it's, I, I think that the, the eight, when I'm thinking about like the 90s and how legalistic it was when I got saved, and then now it's like super super like liberal, we just kind of do whatever. I think we can kind of start swinging the pendulum back a little bit. Come on, can we? Can we just say that there's some things that I I need to be wise about? Come on, I don't need to jump on every trend and stuff. It's just, can you find, can you find what God says? Okay. Not only were they educated, they continued to educate themselves. They, They learned the language of the people. Come on. They, they, learned, they learned these demonic practices. They learned all about it. But what I love is they, they were so rooted in God's word that none of that studying polluted them. They were still doing, I bet at night they laid in bed and they began to quote the Torah. They began to quote the, the accounts of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe they began to tell those stories. Remember our forefathers, Abraham. Remember when he was in going out to a foreign land and he felt alone? I believe that they just had this kind of fellowship. Beloved, it is critical right now that we pay attention to language and we pay attention to ideologies. It is critical. Your lens is the scriptures. Your lens is the scriptures. It's not emotions. It's not feelings. It's not narrative. It's not empathy. It's not the next hyped up personality profile. It is the word of God. That is the lens that we read this world through. How much are you in the word? It's important that we're aware of all this happening. So you have all these ideologies, these modern ideologies. And what, what the ideologies do or belief systems, uh, worldviews that we live in, is what they do is they borrow truth. Right? They borrow truth and then they corrupt it. They pervert it. And so any religion, any ideology has a nugget of truth. We, we said this last week. Broken clock strike or twice a day. It's right twice a day. That doesn't mean you put it on the wall. It doesn't mean you live by that clock. That would be foolish. You just said that, well, they were right here. Everything else is pretty bad. Twice they were right in one day. We're, we're talking about the collective whole. So you have, you have this ideology called humanism. And humanism basically believes this, that there is good without God. That you can attain good without God. So when people say humans are good or they're a good person, you're buying into humanism. That is not what the scriptures teach. Scriptures do not teach that humans are good. Scriptures teach that humans are broken morally. Are you, are, you, are you tracking? This is what God says. All, how many have sinned? All of us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of them. This is the word of God. This is what the word of God teaches us. Oh, the good thing is the word of God has a solution for that. Humanism doesn't. They believe that humans are, are, are generally good, that ethics and morality can be attained without God. And so all, all these social movements that aren't driven by the word of God, this is what they think. They think that humans can be good on their own without God at the center. And it's, it's not a new trick. Self-discovery, self-expression, self-fulfillment are all at the center. Why? Because you're good. Christianity is not that way. Christianity is Jesus is at the center. And because I am morally good and I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I pursued Christ. Thought people were leaving. So many of the, the, the things, many of the things that are happening, a lot of the movements that are happening on the world basically believe that, that we can just, if we can just get along and we can just be unified, we can have this wonderful, happy utopia. Ain't gonna happen. And guess what? Beloved, you can't be united. Read 1 Corinthians. You can't be united with an unbeliever. What do believers and unbelievers have in common? Nothing. We believe Jesus at the center. They think mankind at the center. It's not the way it works. It's humanism. That's all it is. I am not trying to unify myself with the world. I'm trying to serve the world. It doesn't mean that I'm ugly. We're going to talk about that. It means that I'm incredibly kind, ridiculously kind, way more kind than they are. Because that narrative only works if you agree with it. 
Unity only works if you agree with it, right? We all want to be unified, but that view is not welcome here. Well, how can we be unified? Because I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But I can't bring that to the unity table because that's not inclusive. I can't believe that the Bible is the word of God because that's not nice or kind or loving, which is another word they've hijacked. Humanism. Postmodernism. Postmodernism is this, is where humanism is, borrows its traits from. Postmodernism is this, is, is truth is subjective. So you have this language, your truth. What is it? It's true for you. It may not be true for me. What is it? It's postmodernism. And basically, ethics and morality changes over time. In other words, as the days get darker, so do the actions of men. It believes that narrative is more important than truth. Well, from my experience... Your experience might not be true. I'm sorry that you had those experiences. And we will be tender and we will be apathetic and we will have those difficult conversations. We absolutely will. And feelings are important. However, they are not always accurate. So in postmodernism, how one feels is prioritized over what is real. And then you have this materialism, which materialism just means this, basically, that matter is the only thing that matters. We think materialism, we think money. That, that's another form of materialism. This is more like physicalism. And so all of this is just morality, doing good, value of humanity without God. All of it. These are these broken mindsets that we are dealing with in our culture. So with all these philosophies, how do you know what's true? <laughs> right? Because, I mean, it's inundated, right? It's on our phone that we're on like 12 hours a day. Or even seven, which would be a lot, which for some of us, it's more like 12. It's all on our screens. We're being programmed by all these ideologies. So how do you know? Well, first of all, you know because you read your Bible. I mean, we have scriptures available to us on your phone. <laughs> I would encourage you to get a paper Bible. But we have access to Billions of sermons and truth and, and good ideology. How do you know what's true? So I had a friend when I was attending Christ for the Nations way back, and he went to work for a bank. And uh, so what they did is when he went to work for the bank, they put him in, they locked him in this room with a ton of money. ton of money. Some money. Stacks of money bigger than this stack. And so what they did for his training is they just put him in there and they just told him, count money. That was his training. So what did he do? He just went in and he started feeling money. Just felt it. Got very acquainted with the way that money felt, the way it sounded when it, when it moved by. I understand that currency is digital now. And he's just going through the money. And so what they would do is they would hide counterfeit bills in there to train them so when they found something counterfeit, they knew what it was. They didn't have these cool little markers like they have now because technology's provided a way for it to make appear more real. Oh. And so they would just count this money. So, like, I got this money right here. Right? Money. You want some money? You want some money? Who wants some money? You want some money? Oh. Oh, that's not money. That's fake money. You knew when you felt it. It looked the same, right? It looked the same for a minute, right? Who wants some money? Who wants some money? Who wants some money? Who wants some money? Oh, who wants some money? You want some money? You want some money? All right. All right. All right. Here's some money. I'll just, I'll just mix the real with the, the whatever. All right. Some of that's real money, let's just say. So how do you know? How, listen, how do you know the counterfeit? By knowing the real. And, and so, listen, if you want to know these ideologies, don't spend 10 hours studying postmodernism and spend one hour in the Word. Spend 10 hours in the Word and spend one hour postmodernism. Don't spend 30 hours studying Jehovah's Witness and one hour Christianity, biblical Christianity, Jesus Christianity. I know y'all want to just jump up and grab that money. Just grab it. Oh. That too. So. This is the deal. The issue is deception, and smart people can be deceived. 
There are a lot of incredibly brilliant people in the world today that are deceived. There are Muslims today that are brilliant, but they're deceived. But we have the illumination, right? I need to hurry. Another thing is this, stay skeptical. Yes, be very skeptical about the philosophy of those that don't have the same worldview as, as you do. Listen, there are some philosophers, you, I guess you could call them that, some voices, some influencers in the world today that I love to listen to. I love, I love their thoughts. I love, I love a lot of what they have to say, but I'm skeptical. You know why? Because they don't believe Jesus is the truth. They don't believe Jesus is the way. They don't believe Jesus is the way. They, they don't hold to the word of God. They don't follow the New Testament. So you know what I do? I stay skeptical. Because there is something in their worldview that is broken. They have a different view of Jesus. So stay skeptical. And then be knowledgeable. And be careful. Be careful what clock you put on your wall. Be careful. Listen, there are a lot of very broken people propagating this thing called truth. And what we're doing is we're going, oh, I'm, I'm just going to read all their books and do all their things and follow their social media and not allow them to influence me. But they don't know the Lord. They're not connected to the Lord. And what's happening is you're going to fall into deception and you're going to make that the platform of your life. Yes. Beloved, Jesus needs to be the platform of your life. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. We are humans, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. This is spiritual warfare. He's not talking about prayer. He's talking about thinking. He's talking about reasoning. He's talking about logic. Do we pray? Is that a form of spiritual warfare? Absolutely. But here we are talking about knocking down strong, strongholds of human reasoning and destroy arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We do it. Do we do it through prayer? Absolutely. But we also do it by equipping our mind. We also do it by being knowledgeable. Number three, watch your posture. So here's Daniel. They present to him the food. And he goes, I don't really want to eat this. It says that God gave him favor with the guard. God gives him favor and he says, listen, he goes to the guy, hat in hand. And he's just like, listen, you know, we're Jews. And I'm asking if we cannot eat the meat. We'll, we'll just eat the things that we can't eat. We'll just eat the fruits and vegetables. And the guy says this, he says, Daniel, if I allow you to do that, you're not going to be strong. You're not going to be healthy. And what's going to happen is I'm going to get in trouble for that. I'll probably be killed by Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, listen, just test us for 10 days. Give us 10 days to prove that our God is real. Give us 10 days to show you what it looks like to have a consecrated life. Just give us 10 days. And so he gives them 10 days. And when he comes back after 10 days, they're healthier and stronger than the pagans that were eating all the forbidden fruits. God preserved them. But he didn't do it. Listen, he didn't do it like, I not eat that shrimp. I will not eat those crawfish. What are you, devil? I bind you, Satan. None of that. <laughs> Listen, you're laughing, but I know Christians do that. Do not talk to me. Do not talk like that when I'm around. I cancel you. Right? The whole thing. Right? We act like that. We act like that sometimes as Christians. We, we, think, we think we're so righteous. What's your posture? Listen, if knowledge, this is the thing with knowledge, right? When we get this knowledge, sometimes it can make us puffy. Sometimes we're like, oh, if you really knew the truth, your poop wouldn't stink like mine doesn't, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My mom used to say that. Oh, poop. I think their poop don't stink. She didn't use the word poop. She used another word. I don't want to say it. I'm not going to say it in church. I'm set apart. I'm set apart. Set apart. So I use Christian words like poop. Okay. But this is the attitude sometimes when we come to the world. We say, well, if you really knew. Let me tell you, anybody told you about Jesus? We lead with that in such an arrogant, like, you know, put on this voice that's like, you know, that I have this authority, so I, I speak with this tone. 
start virtue signaling about all the good things that I do. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what I know. Listen, if knowledge looks like arrogance, consider it foolishness. If knowledge looks like arrogance, consider it foolishness. See, Jesus knew all the things. <laughs> We're going to finish up today right now. Jesus knew all the things. But how did he come? How did Jesus show up? He knew all the things. The fullness of God dwelled in him. How did he show up? <laughs> if you sinners knew something. You know what sinners are really good at? Sinning. You know what apple trees produce? Apples. They don't produce pecans. And some of you are looking for pecans on apple trees. Pecans. That's the wrong way to say it. Separate yourself. <laughs> this, this is what Jesus says. These are the things that he says. And we're going to finish up because I want to dig into the rest of this as, as, as we move forward the following weeks. This is what he says. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened down, broken, hurting, wounded, Come to me, for I am gentle. I know all the stuff. I know what you're thinking about this morning on your way to church. I know the conversation that you had with that person. I saw when you were ugly towards your boss. I see the bitterness that you've carried in your heart for 40 years. I know it all, but he didn't come arrogantly. He came, you know what? I've came to be the servant of all. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I didn't come to dictate. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. See, beloved, if our purpose is serving, our posture is humility. And this is what Jesus does. all the separation the holy one he wasn't like us this is what was so attractive about him he knew all the things and he says I'm going to come I'm going to come to Babylon and I'm going to rescue people from darkness I'm going to come and I'm going to transform history this is what he does you, not arrogantly, humbly, Philippians, considered himself equality with God, nothing to be grasped, but humbled himself as a servant. Mm -hmm.